Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Playing With Myself on the Internet. This is Rainy here with another episode of Colossal. This will be episode 8, and I am so excited to find out what's up there on the battlements. Actually, I have a few things that I want to talk about, but I'm actually really excited because the actual Colossal rulebook, when you get to the battlements section, specifically says stop. Do not read this until your character gets to the battlements. And I have withheld like a good boy. And I cannot wait to... I'm going to read it live when we get to playing. But first, got to do some announcements and talk to you guys a little bit. If you are listening to this the day that it drops, Friday, February 10th, please do hop onto Twitch later tonight and join us for our first actual session of RuneQuest Six Seasons in Sartar. Christian's new campaign that we're going to be running, a longer form game, and can I just say from all of us how absolutely floored we are with the response so far for this RuneQuest campaign. It is by far one of our best YouTube videos to date. The engagement that we've been getting from everybody has been really, really encouraging, and we are so excited to play these characters and dive into such an incredibly well-fleshed-out world and play a campaign like Six Seasons in Sartar, which is so highly rated and regarded. So, And similarly, I feel like the episodes for Playing With Myself on the internet have been doing really well from a podcast standpoint. I hope that you guys are enjoying it. I think that we are really excited to just continue growing our audience and hopefully introducing more people out there to more games that they hopefully resonate with and want to try out themselves. Last little announcement before we get started is something that I take relatively seriously. I always say when we're going to be playing games and putting it out on the internet, I want to run them in a way that is true to the source material, how I imagine the authors intended this game to play, what kind of experience it was going to be, etc. So I know I've kind of been bending the rules a little bit with Marco and Berger and Alice. Marco has Berger as the followed class within the Colossal Rules, and Alice I've kind of just been tacking on for all things combat, but in perusing more of the Roomlands book, I've been I've read them through, but I didn't really read the classes because I'd already settled on Marco being a followed, but when I reread the allied class from the Roomlands book, it's two characters that are traveling together and not in the way that would use the co-op rules that are also in the Roomland supplement. But basically what it does is it has an exploration score of 5 and a combat score of 4, which is effectively what I've been doing with Marco Berger and Alice. So I kind of did a little hybrid followed allied blend of the classes, and I was kind of just glad to see that what I was kind of ruling on the spot kind of works as the rules um, support. But anyway, without further ado, let's get into episode 8 of Colossal. A little recap in our last session, Marco Berger and Alice found themselves in the rafters and escaped the nest of the gargoyle that scooped them up down at the bottom of the pillar in the canyonlands far below. Through exploration phases in the rafters, they manage to bump into multiple members of a cult that is up in the rafters attempting to make their way up to the battlements. 
The battlements in the world of Colossal are kind of like a mythical... It is rumored to be the place that people in the Roomlands go when they pass on. But there are adventurers who have found their way up to the rafters, and these adventurers, these cultists, believe so strongly that there is more up there to be seen and learned that they have just exploded a skylight, a window in the ceiling of the Colossal, and shattered it, creating an entrance to the battlements beyond. Now, we did determine last time that there is a way for people of the Roomlands to bond with gargoyles. Sort of like, I kind of imagine it in like a uh, how to train your dragon kind of way. But Marco Berger and Alice are not going to have the time needed in order to make any such bond. But luckily, they did prove themselves by traversing the narrow jagged peaks of the mountains within the rafters that kind of make up that arch that supports the ceilings and they made their way through fended off a gargoyle attack and made their way to the collection of the cultists underneath the skylight and while not necessarily earning their trust marco's familial map and key the very calling that we started this entire series on intrigued the leader enough that our trio of protagonists were invited to join the cult as they make their way up through the skylight and onto the battlements. The two NPCs that we met last time, Beric and Renine, both look to Marco Berger and Alice and basically extend their hands and offer rides on their gargoyles to at least ascend up through the shattered skylight, as Marco Berger and Alice once again hold hands being held by a gargoyle, except this time they're doing so willingly, and they're doing so looking forward to where they're headed. It's not a long flight, as the cultists on their various gargoyles fly up out of the canopy of the jungles of the rafters, past the narrow, spiky mountain range that juts out of this jungle, and up into the sky, flying towards that eternal twilight of the skies beyond, outside of the Colossal. Imagine a camera perched third person behind the cultists and our protagonists as they are flying up atop their gargoyles. And the moment they emerge from the broken skylight, they see stretching before them a landscape unfamiliar to anything in the Roomlands below. Let's go ahead and finally read the Battlements section of Colossal. Not many adventurers make it this far. This place is not written about in books nor charted by cartographers, not known by storytellers. There are rumors of people making it here, but not really about them coming back. The Battlements have become synonymous with the idea of an afterlife a warrior's paradise all hunters go to when they die. But the truth is different. The battlements are definitely a place, and maybe we'll be the first to come back and tell tales of what we see. The rooftops of the Colossal are in perpetual twilight. There's no grand light in the sky that brightens and dims like the braziers in the roomlands below. It is gloomy, and the sky is always lit up with millions of tiny, bright points of light. The rooftops are a multi-tiered maze of castellations, 
Huge flat courtyards, towering, crumbling towers as far as the eye can see. There is vegetation up here. Trees growing out of nooks and towers, fields of wildflowers and grasses coating particularly large, flat roof. But it has the feeling of a wasteland. Bare, wild, windy like a prairie. The trees have few leaves and stick up like bony hands, clattering in the winds. Scattered among these huge barren fields are structures. Smaller towers, square castellated buildings. But maybe the strangest thing is the lack of rooks. Or at least, the apparent lack of rooks. There don't seem to be any lumbering around like you'd see so common in the roomlands below. That is, until you spend too long out in the open. Under those millions of lights in the sky, there are plenty of places to take cover, camp or refuge, but if you spend too long visible to the sky, that's when they come. Astrolithic rooks. Falling like burning coals from the impossibly huge sky above, astrolithic rooks hurtle towards you with terrifying intent at the last second halting before hitting the ground and at the last possible moment unfolding their limbs and hovering there, still white hot after acceleration from on high. There may be people up here scattered, tribes of nomads trying to make a life on the battlements searching for roots back down that haven't collapsed. They'll tell you no one fights these rooks. They're impossibly strong and so hot to the touch. So what you do is you hide. And if you see one, you run. So I think the first thing to do, I think we just got to jump right into it. The battlements, of course, like all different locations in Colossal, have their own set of encounter tables, and they do work a little differently in the rules. Basically, it does matter the number of cards I flip that are a certain color. Black means that we are going about whatever we are doing stealthily. Red means that we are doing it a little bit out in the open and exposed. If I flip three or more red cards, I have to flip on the exposure event table. We've been exposed for too long. Now, technically, I believe we don't have our exploration score fully rested and recovered to our typical five. So we are only going to be flipping four cards, which might work out in our favor. But let's see what we got to do. And we have to consider as well that we are with a larger group of cultists. I think we said there were about a dozen of them. So altogether, there's about 15 of us, making exposure probably pretty common. But let's see what the cards have in store for us. Flipping four cards for our first exploration phase of the battlements. We have a four of diamonds, our first red card, an eight of clubs, a seven of spades, and an ace of spades. So we do not flip three red cards. I think that the cultists, as well as Marco Berger and Alice, would know this is unfamiliar territory. We should definitely be doing our best to stay in safe places, stay undercover, etc. So let's see what these cards have in store for us. As always, we'll be going from lowest to highest. So starting with our Ace of Spades, it says here, you come across a camp of nomads squatting in a large, sturdy outbuilding on the edge of a rooftop. They've clearly been here for years, surviving a meager, frightened existence. Resting them will heal one wound. Oh, we're going to get back to our full uh, exploration score. So that's really great. We have a place to stay. 
who these nomads are? Maybe we'll find out. Our four of diamonds says, A strange small outbuilding that looks like a small castle tower perched atop the roof you were traversing. Draw another card. If it is black, you find an item. If it is red, you find another person, wounded and cowering in fear. Let's flip. It is black. It is a six of clubs, which means we will find an item. Let's just go ahead and flip that now. Flipping that card, we have a five of diamonds. And going back up to the items table. Ooh, a five is a key. So that's too funny. Some of the only items we've found, we found some supplies, we've found some machine parts and things like that, but we have also found another map of the rafters in the last episode, and we have found a key up here on the battlements. So we are finding, maybe, maybe that's why it's so rare that Marco has both a map and a key, because plenty of people have probably tried to do exactly what his ancestors or family did, and until Marco, these things have just been kept away, have been kept safe. <laughs> it's going to be funny. We're going to have to do an epilogue later where uh, Marco does finally go back home if he makes it through this whole thing and just kind of be like, hey, so found out what that map did. <laughs> but anyway, let's go ahead and continue with our exploration phase. We have found a group of, uh, we have found a small group of nomads. We have found a uh, tower at the edge of a rooftop. Maybe that's where they are. And there's an item there. And let's go ahead and see what these other cards got. The Seven of Spades says, Ice Wastes. This rooftop must house a cold room below, as the whole rooftop is a tundra. Arctic winds and ice, it is cold and the wind is piercing. And lastly, the Eight of Clubs, black card so stealthy. You see a lone nomad sprinting in fear, and then you look beyond them and see that an astrolithic rook speeding along a few feet above the ground. Do you help? Well, that sucks. Let's take a second and try and weave all of these together. Alright, so I think this is actually pretty easy. I think that as the cultists fly above the battlements for the first time and are absolutely awestruck by the eternal twilight of the sky, the dark purples and colors that are unfamiliar to those who've only been in the rafters and the roomlands below, the millions of lights across the sky. They take a look and see in all directions as far as the eye can see just castle towers and wide rooftops with wildflower fields just growing on them, struggling to stay alive. But then the wind howls as they all huddle together, looking to their leader, looking to Renine for guidance, what to do next. And that frozen, the icy wastes, they must have flown up and the next room over must be some kind of tundrum, as they call it in the Roomland supplement. And that freezing cold just goes right through them. Immediately, the cultists look to one another. Renine just says, we can't stay out here in the open. We must find cover. And immediately, everyone begins moving and traversing these icy wastes. It's not long after that, not far, at the corner of what might be the edge of this roof, 
they see a strange small outbuilding, maybe a small castle tower. The card we drew with our four of diamonds. Now, before they can get anywhere near it, they're not the only ones seeking shelter, because the wind picks up, and the howling wind prevented everybody from noticing the other sounds that were coming from nearby, which is the screams of a nomad sprinting across these icy wastes, struggling to stay ahead of a massive astrolithic rook. The cultists all look to Renine. Renine looks back at Beric and the others and just says, run, run for it now. And she looks at Marco Berger and Alice and she says, kid, I don't care what you can do down there. We run and we run now. I'm going to flip a card, though. We're going to consult the oracles. It's going to be a very simple, straightforward question, and it's going to be, do Marco, Berger, and Alice attempt to fight this astrolithic rook off? I think it's probably a bad idea. <laughs> but for the sake of good, entertaining podcasting, let's see what the oracle says. As always, a reminder, red cards drawn are no with varying degrees, and black cards drawn are yes with varying degrees. So the question is simply, do they stand and fight and buy this nomad time? Flip the card. It is a queen of hearts. So it is a red card. So the answer is no, but there is an upside. So I think that the no, but there's an upside is that maybe they. I think Alice wants to. She wants to be a hero. She wants to be an epic explorer and hunter. And she's desperate for adventure. I think she wants to. And I think that we get one of those classic movie scenes, right? Where she stands up and she's about to try and make herself look big and make herself look scary. And she steps forward bravely, wielding her cannon arm. Uh, Marco and Berger similarly stand with her, not going to leave her alone. And the cultists make a relatively large group. And we only see from the perspective of our protagonists, this nomad sprint by them and this astrolithic rook just soaring, speeding, flying, icy, just shards and uh, snow, like glitter dust, just flying out in all directions as it's flying towards them. And it pulls up. It unfurls its massive column-like, tower-like arms, huge stony fists, and magic beyond understanding. And surprisingly, it flies off in the other direction. And at first we see Alice kind of being like, yeah, that's right, you run away, that's right, you know you can't take us. And it's only when the camera turns around and does a 180 that we see that as the cult approached that small castle tower that we are going to be using that is also where the rest of that nomadic tribe was and so the astrolithic rook decided oh there's a lot more people here i'm not just gonna be able to pick off one person who's straggling and left behind a little bit but regardless i think alice is going to take that as a win and she's definitely going to brag about that so that leaves us with this other group of nomads we did our Icy Wastes, we did the Nomad Running, we did the small area we're going to, and now we have that ace to deal with, 
which is the camp of nomads squatting in a large, sturdy outbuilding at the edge of a rooftop. So we have we saw the small outbuilding. Just beyond that, maybe down, like it looks like there's a sheer cliff drop off, but there's actually like a ledge community, maybe. There's a sturdy outbuilding. So we're going to be able to rest here and heal one wound, which means that our stats will be back at full. But let's go ahead and do what we've done every time we've come to a new location. And we're going to not only flip to meet at least one NPC, we're also going to consult the oracles and see what our mini arc looks like here. Remember down in the rafters, it was as crazy as help a group of cultists and then the twist was explosion. So let's see what we get when we flip for the battlements. I guess first let's flip for the NPCs as our group of cultists and our protagonists make their way towards this small building. And I think maybe this tower is just that, right? It's like a small tower jutting out from the top of this rooftop. But when you go inside of that tower, there's actually stairs that descend what you would think into the roomlands, into the rafters. But what it is, is it's actually just a staircase that kind of circles around and then comes out on the edge of like the wall where this particular part of the outside of the colossal, the battlements, drop down to another rooftop. And that's where that larger outbuilding is with the nomads that we're finding. Of course, I think Renine is doing most of the talking. So we're not going to have to worry about a lot of NPCs. And I'm not going to create the leader of these nomads because obviously, again, they'd be talking to Renine and the cultists. I think maybe there's one. You know who it is? I think it's the person that we saved by the three protagonists being brave enough to stand in the way and allow this nomad to get to safety. So who is this person? Flip three cards for name, look, and characteristic. We got a two. Their name is Nelia. We flip a nine for their look, which says cute and small. Oh, cute and small Nelia. And a characteristic is six, fiery and passionate. Oh, you know what? I think Nellie is similar to Alice. I bet you she's a teenage girl, part of these nomads. Maybe she's even younger. Maybe she was born up here on the battlements or born in the rafters or something like that. And she is fiery and passionate. She's brave because this kind of crazy life is all she's known. And she's had some close calls before, but she looks up to, yeah, she's a little younger. And she looks up to Marco Berger and Alice and is like, oh my God, you guys are so cool. You guys, I can't believe, did you think you could actually stop that rook? Are you crazy? Thank you so much. And um, I think, you know what, for the sake of the story, she actually says, I owe you guys my life. Um, Actually, I was a little behind because I found this. And you know what? I, I think it's only fair. You can have it. And she holds out the key that we would have found the item in that uh, small castle. I think it makes more sense. She just kind of says, I risked my life for this. You saved my life. Take this. And Alice just goes, I like you, kid. Hey, come here. I'll show you a few moves if you ever get stuck in a situation again. And the girl's just like, really? And she's like, can I see? Can you shoot that? Can you shoot your thing? And Alice is like, oh, totally. Let's go. And the two of them are going to go bond and just talk about being badass, badass chicks in the world of Colossal. Meanwhile, Berger and Marco... For the first time, I feel like Marco and Berger being our main characters of this story, I haven't really talked much from their perspective lately, but I think Marco and Berger are 
I think they're focused. I think Berger is looking around, Berger being a small rookling with a surprisingly, to everyone, important glyph that represents uh, locations that lead up to these battlements. I think Berger is having a little bit of a, why is this so important kind of look to him. And Marco is looking around and just kind of saying, all I've heard are tales about this place. And now I'm standing here. There are people up here. There are people in the rafters. There's a cult. And the cult knew about the symbols on my parents' map. I think the key is still kind of, you know, mysterious. But I think Marco is just... he. His goal was to find out what these meant. And I don't think he ever expected it to take him as far as he's gotten. So Marco found a map of the rafters. And I think what he's going to do is start mapping the battlements and him and Berger are very methodical in their next little bit during the night and meeting with these nomads. Obviously they're going to share a meal. They're going to meet more people. We get a scene um, around a fire nestled in a broken portion of the wall of this particular portion of the battlements. And there are nomads sharing their food with the cultists and the cultists sharing their information about below. Technically, uh, this broken skylight does mean that these nomads do have a way down to at least the rafters. And having taken their gargoyles up here, there is kind of a way for people to get out of here. But obviously, all parties involved have more questions that need to be answered before they just flee. Or maybe not. Maybe the nomads do just want out. But I think there's probably a deal that is struck between Renine and the cultists and these nomads about the questions the cultists have, and Marco obviously wanting to ask questions about the symbols and his map and everything. So the night passes, conversations are had. It's funny, in solo RPGs, a little tangent here, I don't, I love playing out conversations. I will be in character when I'm playing with a group of players as a GM, or if I'm a player, I would love to have in-world conversations. In a solo game, I think you can kind of breeze over that. And just say, this is the information. If you need to flip a card or roll a die for what's the likelihood of this outcome, do that, obviously. Make it interesting. But I think in this case, you know what? Maybe we will. We're going to flip one card for uh, an oracle. And that's going to be, does Marco find anyone who can give him answers about his familial map and or key? And the key that, you know what? We're going to do two. And is the key that Nelia gives him similar to his familial key. So that we're going to do that one first. Flip a card. It is a black queen. Ooh, that's actually really good. So that's that's yes with a bonus. So I think that the key that Nelia gives to Marco Berger and Alice is a similar key to that that his parents passed on to him with a different glyph and he never noticed it before. But a part of the key is kind of a iron wrought or whatever metal. It is an approximation of one of these glyphs. And the one that Nelia hands to him looks like it was probably a circle, maybe a spiral, and a portion of it maybe broke off because of this icy waste, right? That frigid temperature. But maybe that's another one of these keys. Ooh, interesting. All right, and now we flip the second card. Oh, and it's yes with a bonus. So I think that... Not only does, 
ooh, maybe it has something to do with burger. We're going to come back to that bonus. Then the second question we wanted to ask was, does Marco find anyone who can help him kind of maybe uh, triangulate the map of his families with the map of the rafters and the map, uh, and you know, as far as how do these relate to the battlements? Is there like a, car- a cartographer among these nomads? We're going to flip. That is a that is a two of diamonds. So that is no, and it's worse than expected. I think that when they try and work out, you know, if we were talking about floors of the room lands and the rafters and then the battlements, I think that between fleeing, between rooftops, between castle towers and things like that, and the nomads, they have no idea what's below them at this point. And if it wasn't for the skylight, there'd be almost no understanding. And when they start to, it's worse than expected. I think that when the group of people that are working with Marco to try and figure out if they can backtrack, okay, well, we go to this skylight, and then we're down in the rafters. And then from the rafters, we go in this direction. And then from there, we find a pillar to the canyon lands, but no one can agree what direction that was. Marco, Berger, and Alice, these cultists, these nomads, are effectively lost. Incredibly, hopelessly lost. And finding a way down might come from going down that skylight and finding another way down from the rafters. Or it might be they need to find an entirely new way down. All right, wow. So things are looking pretty dire up here. I think come morning, that is kind of the consensus. The nomads are interested in some type of, we're going to go, you know, get us down. We don't want to be up here. <laughs> like, you know, we, we've, uh, we've been fending off these astrolithic rooks. What are these nomads about? So there is kind of a deal struck that the cultists will fly them down to the rafters in exchange for a little bit of information. But the nomads, I think to justify another exploration phase up here and finding a way down, I think the nomads kind of say, if that astrolithic rook was up there on that icy roof, we can't go back up there. Like, it will find us and it will, even all of us might not be able to take it down. So, we need to go somewhere else. And they say, we know a place. There aren't many nomads up up here, but... There's tales of places and staircases down and things like that. So they're going to take a chance, go this way. Worst case scenario, maybe if by the time they go and find out that doesn't work and they loop around, maybe that rook will be gone and they can use the skylight. But it's going to be at least a few exploration phases, mostly because I want to flip cards on these cool tables. That's another thing, a small tangent. If you decide to pick up solo RPGs, an interesting thing about it is you can make them as long or as short as you want. You know, I think we're going to do one more exploration phase. And if something happens during that phase that I think is good enough, I'll probably just call it. But I think that I'm going to do this until it feels narratively satisfying. Right? So pace yourself. Play at whatever pace you want. I've been recording these episodes and they're only about 50 minutes max. Because that's a nice digestible amount of time for me to sit down and play a game and fully enjoy myself, you know? So that's another cool thing about playing solo is you can play it as much or as little as you want, as often or as infrequent as you want. So anyway, let's flip some more cards. The nomads 
are going to be leading the cultists and our protagonists towards a potential other route down into the rafters and or roomlands. Here we go. Uh, we are healed, so we are flipping our full five exploration score cards. So again, if three of these cards are red, we are exposed and something crazy happens. First card, an eight of diamonds, starting off with a red card again. A queen of spades, a ten of spades, a nine of clubs, and a ten of clubs. Oh, goodness. Oh, so we got two black tens there. So we'll see what comes from that. And let's see what happens. As always, from smallest to largest, we have our eight, which we had last time. Oh, gosh. You see a lone nomad sprinting in fear, and you look beyond and see an astrolithic rook. Okay. Yep, we got that one again. Then we got a nine, which says, a hole in the roof. Looking down through it, you are faced firsthand with how dizzyingly high up you are. Through the wispy clouds, you can see land masses and oceans below you like a patchwork blanket miles away. Maybe you can climb through this hole and down to the rafters of that room? Oh, but that sounds fun. That's an ocean. Ooh, ocean encounters are another one that have their own tables. We might have to do some island hopping. Then we have two tens, both of which are black, so stealthy. Another adventurer like yourself. They're friendly and tough and agree to team up with you. If you're facing an astrolithic rook this turn, they'll assist you and reduce the rook's combat score by one. In your battle, describe how the other adventurer assists you. If you don't meet a rook this phase, the adventurer will heal one of your wounds and you can decide if you want to travel together or go your separate ways. Oh, that's cool. And that means there's two adventurers because we got two tens. So we'll just say that it's a, a pair of people traveling together. And then lastly, the queen. Oh, I didn't see this. If I flip face cards, a queen says this counts as a red card, no matter what color it was. And a king would have been two red cards, no matter what color it was. Okay, so in the end, we did end up with two red cards, but not enough to be fully exposed. But we do have an interesting exploration phase here. And you know what? Like I was just saying, I think this one is going to be all we need. I already have a plan brewing for how this is going to work. So we flipped the Lone Nomad sprinting in fear, right? It doesn't have to be exactly like that. They don't have to be sprinting across a rooftop in fear. It can just be a nomad fleeing an astrolithic rook. Then we have the hole in the roof. Looking down, we can see we are miles above an oceanic room with islands. And then there are rafters well above that. So that's actually pretty interesting. And then we meet a pair of adventurers. So what I think we're going to do is we're going to say one of these adventurers is the person fleeing the astrolithic rook. The other is attempting to save their friend. I think that, oh, you know what would be really cool? I think the astrolithic rook is going to make the hole in the ceiling, make the hole in the floor, and then we're go. oh, yeah, no, this is how this is going to go. Ready? We get a wide zooming shot of the 30 or so people that are traveling between the cultists, our protagonists, and these nomads. They are traversing, sliding down uh, some tiled roof down to a flatter portion of roof, and they see a relatively wide expanse of plants struggling to grow in the cracks of a roof, and they are making their way there. Not far in the distance, coming around a corner, coming around another tower or something similar, are two other adventurers, and they're dragging uh, ropes attached to a huge 
chunk of what must have been an astrolithic rook. They have a piece of it, they're maybe trying to salvage it, and you hear them grunting, and they get kind of halfway out into this field, still far enough away that technically if we wanted, our nomads and cultists could decide not to engage or whatever. But before they even have the chance to decide, they're pulling this piece of an astrolithic rook, and we see from our protagonist's perspective, one of those millions of bright lights just piercing the ever-twilight sky. Looks like it's getting bigger? It's getting... It is getting bigger. There's a tail coming from... And all of a sudden, streaming through the sky, falling like a meteorite to Earth, although it's not Earth, to the Colossal, is an astrolithic rook that just slams down into the ground, just grabbing whatever it is they were doing. It scatters these two adventurers in either direction around it. Luckily, they roll and seem relatively unharmed, at least seriously. And we're going to go into a combat. Renin looks at Marco Berger and Alice and just goes, Kids, don't even think about it. You got lucky last time. And we see the leader of the nomads kind of look and just say, Let's go uh, where this astrolithic rook landed. Uh, it has put a huge crack in the ground. And all of a sudden we hear the... That rumbling, the cracking of the ceiling. And all of a sudden falling away like a sinkhole, a massive hole just forms in the ground uh, what would be the roof, the ceiling underneath, and huge chunks of rock and wood from the rafters just collapse and fly down. And you know when you drop a you drop a rock down like a well and just wait to see how long it makes noise? Yeah, we're not even going to get that noise by the time we're already in a fight. We get the cultists, they scatter in one direction, we get the nomads, they're running in another, and Marco Berger and Alice fearlessly run forward because these two adventurers need saving. Now, it does say they will reduce the Rook's combat score by one. Now, Astrolithic Rooks are the most powerful enemies in this game of Colossal. They have a combat score of six. Higher than any other Rook down in the Roomlands or Rafters. Now, two of them technically would reduce it to four what i'm gonna say is i'm gonna reduce it to five i want this to be hard we have our stats are full exploration score of five combat score of three plus one if we're kind of doing the followed allied blend using alice with for a free plus one card in combat and yeah i think we're gonna drop it down to five so it's gonna be really dangerous regardless and we're gonna talk about how marco berger and alice get a little bit of help from these two other adventurers. All right, let's uh let's do some combat. Combat on the battlements does have slightly different rules to combat. We don't have to build this rook. Astrolithic rooks all have all the powers of all of them. It is just they're crazy powerful. So instead we're going to flip our four cards, and then we're going to flip one by one the cards for the Astrolithic Rook, and the number obviously will be the number that we still need to meet or beat in order to proceed in the battle, but basically they have four different types of attacks based on the suit that is flipped for them. So let's flip our four cards, fingers crossed. I only have about 
maybe a quarter of the deck here in my hands, and I don't know what I've flipped. I know I've flipped quite a few high cards down in the rafters, so... Ooh, fingers crossed. All right, Marco and Berger have a four of hearts. Oh, no. A three of clubs. This is bad. A king of spades. That is good. And a five of hearts. We have pretty bad cards here going up against the most powerful rooks in the colossal. Oh, no. Okay, well, we have one, one good card, and we better hope that they are going to flip low. So here goes. We're going to flip the first card. They have a Jack of Spades. Okay, so we only have one card that'll beat that, and a Spades is a laser attack from this Astrolithic Rook. The Rook seems to charge some kind of glass or crystal, and then suddenly a blast of white heat flashes from the end and hurtles towards your characters in a straight line. Ooh. Yep, this thing's definitely got some kind of, like, space crystal on it. It's like it pulls light from the skies and then zoop, just a laser line shoots out however we have a king of spades which is an unarmed attack and i think that this is one of the other adventurers i think that they're close enough to it that they see this laser attack charging up and basically do just enough to make this laser beam air slightly off to the side and it kind of zoop and it cuts a little bit and we see more of that hole that where they landed fall away down into the rooms below so we've gotten one so going back to the actual rules as written in colossal we just need to win the majority of the encounter now we have we only have a three four and a five left so it's not looking very good for us but you never know. We're going to flip the next card. It is a two of spades. Oh my god, we actually do. It's another laser attack. Um, but it's a two. So here goes. I think that we have... I'm going to use the next lowest card. We're going to save our four and our five. And we're going to use our three of clubs, which is a weapon attack. So having seen this laser attack just go off and luckily just miss our group, of our protagonists. I think Alice, being brave and wanting to have fought last time and protected... Nelia stands forward and just goes now that's fancy imagine what I could build out of that and she aims her cannon and shoots the heavy ball on the rope that she uses and it just bang hits into this crystal and I think it cracks the crystal which is why that laser attack was only a two I think she hits it before it fires cracks it and now it's not as powerful obviously we'll see if that matters we only have a four and a five but we have won our first two bouts they are, they do have five as a combat skill versus our four, so we are going to take a wound no matter what. So, technically, if we want, we can always let a, another big card go, but let's see what it is. Yeah, there's a king of diamonds. I'm not even going to put one of my cards up against this. Diamonds says rocket attack. You've got to be kidding. The rook disconnects a part of itself, perhaps one of its arms or small turrets, and blasts it towards you with the same propulsion as the rook has itself for flight. Your character braces as the stone missile streaks towards you. Yeah, that's going to hit somebody. And I think that the somebody that it's going to hit is going to be Berger. The Rook aims at Marco and Berger. And Berger steps forward and uses some of his new rumble magic to create what he hopes to be a stone wall that'll protect from this. 
And as this projectile, this portion of itself, I think it's probably like, yeah, one of its hands launches out. It smashes that stone wall that Berger built and Berger kind of just tumbles back behind it, being covered in the rubble of the destroyed wall. And Marco had dove out of the way, not being hurt by it. All right, last two cards of the round. Another king. I flipped three kings for this thing. The king of clubs, a flying attack. The rook swoops out of range of your attacks only to swing around in the air and lash out at you as it flies back. So yeah, classic maneuver, right? It actually, it shoots. Berger puts up a wall. It shatters the wall. And in that destruction and confusion, we didn't even realize that this thing flew all the way back around. I am going to put one of my cards up against it only because it's there. Um, and Marco attempts to do some of the magic from his helm with that four of hearts. And it just does not matter. Uh, this thing comes across. It just sweeps underneath Marco's legs, lifts him into the air a little bit. Uh, Marco gets about 10 feet in the air before falling down right on his back, knocking the wind out of him. And he is laying there hurt. We have two other adventurers who are getting back to their feet. We have Alice who landed one good shot, but has not been able to do much since. And Berger is shakily standing up after the destruction of his defensive wall. Here goes. Last card of this initial combat phase is an... <gasps> it's an ace of clubs. It's an ace of clubs, which means that our five of hearts is going to beat it. That is going to be enough. Oh my goodness. That is a magic attack. I just said Berger was standing up shakily. Berger tried their new rumble magic but they're going back to the well and they're going to use their defensive ice magic marco just fell from 10 feet having been swooped up by the flyby attack and as this thing attempts to do another flying attack with that ace of clubs it is flying by and it is going to slam into the ground like it did those two adventurers when it was coming down from the sky it's just going to fly and like flying elbow basically <laughs> wrestling move but as it does Berger gets up, sprints forward a few feet to Marco's defense, and in a defensive kind of uh, ice magic, shoots up a wall of ice, except these ice shards are similar to those we saw in the crackways from those strangely sized rooks. Berger learned a thing from them and created this wall with spikes similar to their ice spears. They had the same glyph and Berger thinks, I can do what they did. And he makes a spiky wall that as this thing comes down, the ice, it shatters. It doesn't exactly, you know, it's not strong enough ice to stop this astrolithic rook. But one shard of it does just kind of find a crack in this astrolithic rook's main body and just goes right through. And as this thing is coming down and Marco's laying there, Wind knocked out of him, unable to roll out of the way if he wanted to. It slows down on that ice wall, kind of piked down there, and right as it would have landed on Marco and flattened him to a pulp, one shard of this ice wall holds, and impaled on it is this astrolithic rook. The crystals on it flickering, showing it's barely hanging on to any kind of functionality. It's unable to move. Marco catches his breath. Alice walks forward, helping him up. The two adventurers kind of stand off to the sides, seeing what just happened, unable to believe it. And Berger, standing there, 
two big, stony, icy fists clenched, determined to have protected his friend Marco. And we have just beat one of the hardest enemies in this game. And let me tell you, the reward is crazy. And I'm going to tell you all about it next time. Thank you all so much. Holy crap. I, I'm, you know what? I'm wearing, <laughs> I'm wearing a smartwatch. My heart rate is quite a bit higher than it usually is. And I'm just sitting here flipping cards. So again, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of playing with myself on the internet. I hope it is encouraging you and inspiring you to go out and find a game, even games that aren't specifically marketed and written as solo games can be played solo dive in see what kind of fun you can have and let us know how it goes if you like what we do please find us on social media at dms after dark we're on all the big ones and we are relatively active on those we're not the most social media savvy people but we do love any kind of engagement we try often to post things that people can relate to and engage with if you want, you can email us directly at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. Loving emails lately. We've been getting a little bit. Somebody recently emailed us and asked us for advice on a game that they want to run. And that is so cool. And I think that, again, you know, bounce ideas off us. Share some of your favorite stories about games you've played with your friends. It's just great. This community is really, really special and we're so glad to be part of yours and um you know maybe i'm getting better at these outros but i have nothing to apologize for except the name that i've committed to for this series and as always until next time stick up for your friends have a wonderful night hope we see you on twitch for our rune quest series and uh, game on, everybody.